Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon and welcome to Queering the Air. We'd like to start today by acknowledging that 3CR broadcasts from lands stolen from the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and that their lands were never ceded. I'm joined in the studio today by Jesse Richardson. Hello. Hi, everyone. And I'm Nikki Russell, and we've got a great show lined up for you this afternoon. We do, we do. Um, we're covering a range of topics. Um, so first up, we've got a great interview that um, Arjun, who you uh, will have heard on the, the show before. What a star. What a superstar. Did with Dean Beck, who's a producer and writer who's um, speaking at the Emerging Writers Festival at the Wheeler Centre uh, this week. And um, we also have a little bit of coverage at... Uh, 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 patriotic, well, so-called patriotic. Pa- so-called patriotic, <sighs> nationalistic and uh, racist rally that happened in Richmond just this afternoon and uh, I think may just be finishing up around now. So um, we'll be bringing you some news from that as well, uh, which I very unfortunately uh, decided to cover. <laughs> no, I'm glad you got in there amongst the fray. We need to hear this. Well, you know, it was, it was quite an interesting experience really because um, – I was kind of like, I'm an intrepid reporter. <laughs> I write about yep. office buildings. A real Lois Lane. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, I'm getting in among the fray. Is that how that phrase is used? Sure. You know, and position myself among the um, media pit, which was uh, more or less as large, thankfully, as gr- as the um, motley group of racists that had gathered there. Um, and, uh, you know, I was I was actually found it a quite frightening experience, to be honest with yeah. you, which I wasn't expecting. Um, but we'll be speaking a little bit about that later on in the show. Yes. Um, so today on Queering the Air, we'll be hearing an interview first by Arjun with Dean Beck, as we said. So Dean Beck has over five years' experience as a broadcaster and radio producer. So we're obviously very big fans. <laughs> Welcome to the family. Very intimidated. As a novice. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, Dean is the founder and original presenter of Community Radio's most popular show about sex, sexuality and self, Hide and Seek. Um, and he presents the nationally syndicated uh, interview program Word for Word, heard each week on Joy 94.9 and across the community radio network. So great friends of Queering the Air and 3CR. He also presents a weekly news and current affairs program on the line, being a busy bee. Dean is a tireless advocate for people living with HIV, HIV and an enough ambassador. In 2013, Joy 94.9 presented Dean with the Adam Stobbs Broadcast Excellent Award and Living Positive Victoria presented him with their coveted Community Endeavour Award. Dean's work in radio promoting gay men's health saw Hide and Seek receive the HIV Awareness Media Award from Living Positive Victoria in 2013. All well deserved. And Dean, as I said earlier, will be speaking at the Emerging Writers Festival at the Wheeler Centre on Tuesday the 2nd of June. Cool. So let's hear from him. Let's hear what Dean had to say to our dear friend Arjun. Dean, you've been part of Joy 94.9 for a long time now and have a great deal of experience presenting on sexuality on radio, uh, from hide and seek to word for word to on the line. 
How did you first become involved in community radio and what were the early days of community radio like? And how would you describe the changes that you've witnessed in the way the gay community has communicated with itself over the years? It's great to be with you, Arjun. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, I started in community radio because I was really frustrated with uh, the conversations that gay men were having about sex and sexuality. In fact, they weren't having them. And it certainly wasn't being led by uh, the HIV organisations to encourage that dialogue. And so I thought we really needed a show where people could freely communicate uh, what sex they were having and how they were having it and and in that space hopefully we would all learn something and um, take uh, you know control of, of our sexuality and and I was frustrated by the constant uh, apologizing that I was hearing from gay men uh, about their the sex that they were having and the sexuality that, that that they were expressing and I just thought this is something that we should be embracing and and uh, owning and uh, and loving and yet we're apologising for it, and it infuriated me. So um, I did some training at Joy and uh, put in a proposal to start Hide and Seek, and it continues to go from strength to strength today. So it's um, but it's been great in that regard. Yeah. Um, have you noticed any major transitions in, in dialogue around the community in terms of sexuality as well as health advocacy and all, all, all of those uh, different aspects. Look, I really have. Uh, it's been tremendous to see uh, at Joy ninety four point nine the uh, the uh, growth of conversation that uh, people uh, have, and and the fact that they're able to have it now and feel free to have it on air. Uh, there was no conversation about um, sexuality I- I- in a sexual sense, and. Uh, there was no conversation about HIV. There was no conversation about trans issues. Um, and part of that was because we had evolved it in such a way that we'd let go of the, the language around it. And so I went on air and just said, look, I'm going to make mistakes talking about trans issues or talking about intersex issues. Um, but with my guests, I asked them to correct me if I made these mistakes and if I got it wrong. And if, if uh, uh, and the, the point being that in them correcting me on air, we would all learn, you know, everyone listening and myself would learn. And so using that approach uh, has been... Uh, for want of a better word, uh, infectious. And uh, it's great to see my colleagues at Joy uh, now freely having those conversations and not fearing, uh, you know, touching on issues of HIV or touching on issues uh, to do with uh, trans and intersex people. Um, So you've interviewed artists, you've interviewed scientists, politicians and just everyday folks. Uh, You've talked to people about their coming out experiences. You've talked to people about... Uh, sexual diversity in different places, you know, in different parts of the country, as well as in different areas of life, like in different professions, etc. Um, and recently, I've also noticed that you've talked to people about uh, faith, religion and sexuality, especially with uh, what's uh, unfolding now with the Royal Commission. Um, what are some of the more memorable interviews that you've done? And, um, you know, from both current affairs, as well as from personal conversations you've had with your interviews and participants? Yeah, look, um, I consider it such a wonderful privilege to be able to, you know, get something out uh, from people that uh, they're prepared to share. And 
I guess, uh, you know, on a current affairs basis, um, I've been able to change some um, amazing things and right some amazing wrongs. Um, the Alfred Hospital was uh, planning to uh, bring all of their pharmacy annexes into line. In other words, they were going to start charging a dispensing fee at the Melbourne Sexual Health Centre for HIV medications. And for people uh, who need those medications, uh, any barrier to uh, to getting them um, is, is just another thing that they have to, to jump. So... I brought it to the attention on air that uh, Alfred Health was going to uh, make Melbourne Sexual Health uh, charge a dispensing fee. And, um, you know, I, I put that to air and at seven o'clock in the evening, I got a phone call from the um, Minister for Health office and they said, uh, in your email box is um, a statement from the Minister. I just thought I'd let you know that uh, the Minister has stepped in and uh, Melbourne Sexual Health will not be charging a dispensing fee for HIV meds. And I was able to go on air that night on Hide and Seek and say, look, you know, at noon I brought this to air, um, seven o'clock I got a phone call, it's now ten past nine uh, and the problem's been fixed. Um, another big uh, current affairs thing was um, Alfred Health, again, just ironically, uh, was going to close down Fairfield House. And that was a place at the Alfred in um, South Yarra that uh, had been built specifically to care for people with HIV and AIDS. And it had been built following the closure of Fairfield Hospital. And so we as a community had a very emotional attachment to the building and what it does. The staff are amazing there. And it is a purpose-built facility that is becoming less and less needed uh, as you know, people with HIV live their lives longer and healthier. Um, the facility is, is not called upon as much. And so some of those beds are being used for uh, cancer patients and, and other um, people who are in palliative care. Alfred Health uh, just decided that um, December 1, they were going to close down the facility and repurpose it. Uh, they'd booked uh, builders and renovators and furniture and everything. Um, and that was World AIDS Day, you know. So for our community to lose something that it was emotionally attached to on World AIDS Day um, with no consultation, I thought was a little odd. And I had a um, a patient who was in residence at the time at, uh, at Fairfield House uh, phoned me on the Wednesday before my show on the Thursday. And he he told me about uh, this proposed closure and I said, are you prepared to discuss it on air? And I said, I certainly don't want to uh, exacerbate your health and, and um, but I understand why you're you see it's so, uh, such an important issue. And he said, yes, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. So I pushed record and um, we had a uh, quite an emotive sort of 15 minutes. And wow, the phone lines went mad. And, um, uh, you know, I had uh, the then president of the Victorian AIDS Council ring in and say that they hadn't been consulted. And uh, the whole thing just blew up. And as a result of that, the proposed renovations and repurpose repurposing of that building was stopped and Fairfield House remains today. And so there are just two examples of 
what uh, community radio, what radio can do, um, the power of it, and uh, the immense privilege that people like you and I, who sit behind a microphone, have. Um, and uh, I, I never take that for granted. Do you remember any stories um, that people told you about their personal lives and experiences? The, the most, one of the most uh, powerful uh, stories that I've ever heard on radio was actually not done by me, but it was an eight-minute interview done during uh, the AIDS conference. And one of my colleagues spoke to this 14-year-old boy called Babu from India and uh, his parents had died of AIDS and he was here in this country and he um, lives with HIV and he addressed uh, the conference about um, youth and HIV and he was so eloquent. (laughs) Sorry, I'm getting a bit emotional. Um, But it was just such a powerful narrative um, so, yeah, uh, radio can deliver that um, and do it very powerfully. Uh, and we are able to to bring those stories um, to a wider audience. This, the series that I've done, Inside Ex-Gay, um, talking about the lives of survivors of the ex-gay movement and, and trying to cure homosexuality, are some of the most powerful that I've uh, ever been involved with. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, clearly, some of the stories are powerful and they impact you as a person. Oh, you know? very much. I mean, when you're listening to them and, and when you're talking to people, how do you cope with um, some of the sort of emotional um, aspects of your work? I don't. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I respect journalists that uh, are able to communicate uh, stories in a an emotive way, but I think we're all human, and I think part of uh, being human is to connect to the emotion of those stories. So, uh, yeah, I often fall apart on air. Um, <laughs> you know, I try and push through and and uh, hold it together, but uh, you know, we are quite often a challenged community that has been broken. Which is not to say that we should live lives uh, being victimised by any stretch, but we should be empowered by the resilience of those people and uh, we should learn from that. Violence can destroy families. I decided one day that I could not stand having my children witnessing more of the physical, verbal and emotional abuse. While I was facing issues of family violence, I heard about a service available to assist people in my situation called InTouch. I called InTouch and spoke with someone in my language. InTouch gave me the support I needed. Thanks to the people at InTouch, I've been able to rebuild a better life for my family. If you need advice, contact InTouch for a free and confidential discussion in your language by calling 1-800-755-988 or search InTouch Multicultural Centre online. InTouch, brought to you by Victorian Women Lawyers and funded by Victoria Law Foundation.
We jailed black males in Australia nationally at a rate five times greater than apartheid South Africa jailed black males in 1993. The suicide and self-harm rates are the highest in the world and the life expectancy gap is the biggest in the first world. You know, Australians don't like hearing the truth about how bad things are, but the more we resolve from it, the longer this is going to continue. Black fella, white fella, it doesn't matter what you colour. Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place predominantly you will find that with any real depth is on community radio, and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I would suggest 3CR is a bloody good place to start. What your name is, we got the hand. Lots of changes, we need more brothers. Welcome back to Queering the Air. We've been listening to an interview that our collective member Arjun did with Dean Beck and I think we're going to continue that now. So Dean Beck is a very experienced radio broadcaster and producer who's also um, an advocate for people living with HIV AIDS and an Enough ambassador. So let's hear more about what he had to say to Arjun. You were talking about World AIDS Day just a while back. Um, you did a marathon uh, <laughs> broadcast. Wow, yeah. Look, um, six months out uh, before the conference came uh, to to Melbourne, the AIDS 2014 conference, World AIDS Day Worldwide was a 24-hour global conversation about HIV and AIDS. We had uh, a wonderful um, woman, Lucy Stackpole-Moore, who was the communications director for the AIDS conference, and she was out here six months before. And so she worked with us to get unvetted access to all of the top scientists uh, and people who were going to be at the conference. So we thought we would have a chat with them six months out to start to bring our audience and our community up to scratch with um, what was about to happen because, you know, I... followed uh, the announcement of the conference two years prior and I knew that this was going to be something that we had no comprehension how big it was going to be. And so I thought it was really important that we start to have those conversations, that we started to listen and prepare. And the station uh, was inspired by um, uh, an online sort of uh, communications model and um, we decided to take that to the next level. So we turned four studios at Joy into four TV stations, basically, and we put robotic cameras in the corners of each of these studios. Um, We had a TV operation panel out in the foyer of of our uh, building and basically we streamed via Skype Uh, interviews with world leaders in science and medicine, um, in community development and in human rights. And over the 24-hour period, um, I was also an ambassador for the Enough campaign, so I was invited along to um, Government House, and so I took a camera crew with me to Government House. um, And I was able to um, uh, deliver... A sort of what's happening on World AIDS Day in Melbourne six months out from the conference and then present that at 6pm 
to the world um, as a sort of one-hour news bulletin of, of what's happening. And it was uh, an, a tremendous opportunity. And as a coordinator for that project, uh, it nearly killed me. But uh, it, it was um, like no other opportunity I've, I've ever had. Speaking of HIV advocacy and health advocacy, you've done that, you know, through through broad, uh, through broadcasting as well as uh, separately with the Enough campaign. Um, I, I know that it's it's a tremendously, I mean, it's a huge responsibility, you know, doing uh, HIV advocacy because you have to speak to people, you know, and and uh, deal with extremely vulnerable people as well as deal with your own vulnerabilities uh, through work like this. Um, what I want to ask you is it's how you've evolved as a person through this journey and what have been the milestones, in a sense, of your, of your work in HIV prevention? Uh, it's, it's interesting. It, it was a great honour to be uh, an ambassador for the Enough campaign, which, for those listening who aren't aware, it's a campaign to combat the stigma associated with HIV. And you can go to enough.org.au and sign the uh, pledge to uh, counter the stigma of uh, those living with HIV and, and make a stand for them. But um, the, for me personally, the acceptance after four and a half years on air of banging on about it, um, the acceptance of the agencies and the sector um, and the acknowledgement of the work I do has been um, very rewarding. But in saying that, it was four and a half years of pushing shit uphill and they really uh, just uh, for a long time didn't want to engage with me. And... Um, and that was fine. I just kept going, you know. <laughs> they eventually came around. And uh, so that's been very rewarding. And it's been great to be able to work with them since, you know. Um, uh, together we've been able to achieve a lot more by working together. Uh, who would have thought? But, um, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a battle for quite some time. Um, you know, since becoming HIV positive myself more recently, um it uh, has become, I guess, even more important for me to communicate uh, things like the need for PrEP and for pre-exposure prophylaxis to be approved and supported by government so that um, people can take full control of their health and well-being. It's certainly something that had it been available in this country when Australia uh, has often been behind the rest of the world in a lot of things regarding HIV. If we'd had it when America had it in 2012, um, then I certainly wouldn't be HIV positive today. And just going on with that theme, you've written about uh, PrEP. You've, you've sort of expressed, uh, you know, you've advocated for uh, the introduction of PrEP in Australia. And there has been a bit of a controversial uh, sort of uh, the reception of that idea has been slightly controversial in that people have, uh, you know, the, 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 there are certain anxieties that come to the fore within the community when PrEP is mentioned for various reasons. What do you think about that? Yeah, look, a lot of that is us uh, acknowledging what's happened in the US. And I think we have the opportunity to um, adopt PrEP and engage in with PrEP um, and not uh, do 
you know, the, the stupid things that happened in the US about, uh, you know, calling people Travada whores and, and um, sort of demonising um, the fact that some people want to take control of their lives in a way that they find works for them. You know, PrEP is simply another tool in the toolkit against HIV. Um, it's not the be-all and end-all, uh, but it's a darn good uh, addition to the equation. And um, for 30 years... We've only had one, one or two other tools in the toolkit, um, one of them being abstinence, which is a failed experiment of the Catholic Church. So, um, I'm, you know, I, I think it's great that uh, we can add PrEP to the condom message and, um, and all the other things that people engage in to look after themselves and, and take care of their own health and well-being. Um, do you have any recollection of what it was like when you first started talking on radio about HIV? Were you scared? What, what was your mind frame like and how has that changed to now where you are coming out as HIV positive on radio? Um, well, you know, for the majority of the time uh, that I've spoken about HIV, um, I was negative. Um, you know, my, my positive status is a more recent development. My uh, did I have hesitation? No, because I had too much frustration um, prior. Uh, to, you know, I, I was I wanted to get that conversation on air. Um, I was hesitant in that I was concerned about uh, whether I had the right language to have that conversation on air. And again, you know, I used that approach of um, uh, together we'll learn if I muck it up. Um, but uh, the more that I spoke about it, the more people came to me to talk about it. And, um, you know, I, I always have thought that the personal stories of others have been pivotal in um, communicating uh, messages of, of empowerment and resilience and taking control. So, um, you know, uh, it would be disingenuous of me to uh, continue the work that I do and that I love doing, not to be authentic and, and to have come out uh, when I was ready um, to um, reveal my own status. And so I uh, feel much more relieved now that, um, that that's all out in the open, yeah. Yeah. Is isolation and um, um, a sense of shame, I suppose, is, is that still common for... Oh, very much, very much. And, uh, you know, that internalised stigma that takes place is certainly something that I had to work through as someone so vocal in the HIV space, um, you know. And so the time between my diagnosis and, and going public um, was very much about dealing with my own uh, battles in that area. And, yeah, you know... I, presents its own own problems but provides its own strength when you when you get there right perfect um what are you doing what are you talking about at the writers festival which is coming up well uh i think that i might talk about the importance of language um following my public uh you know statement and and the my station joy 94.9 were were wonderfully supportive and and continue to be and they put out a media release uh, offering their support and encouragement of the work that I do. And so one of our uh, little radio gems, uh, 
an online journal called Radio Info. You might be familiar with it. Uh, those in the industry are very familiar with it. Decided to editorialise Joy's media release and led with the headline, Joy Presenter Has AIDS. And so, um, which I don't, by the way, I have HIV. And they are two very different things. And so I think I might talk about the importance of language. Um, and uh, that might be a good place to start for a writer's festival, I think. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks so much, Dean, for coming on to 3CR. My pleasure. Thank you. We just heard Arjun, uh, one of our great producers here at Queering the Air, speaking to Dean Beck, a broadcaster and radio producer, who is speaking at the Emerges Emerging Writers Festival at the Wheeler Centre. So that's on Tuesday, the 2nd of June. So if you want to hear more from um, Dean, and he has a lot of great stuff to say, as we've just been uh, hearing, uh, do hop on the internet and look up the Emerging Writers Festival, and I'm sure that you can get a seat to listen to him speak Mm. then. Um, We, at the start of the program, heard uh, Yala by MIA, and now we're going to listen to uh, Grid by Perfume Genius. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855am digital and 3cr.org.au. And the scary gobbos from the unwary. They're so unnecessary, the Abba family. They got in thanks to Rupert. Their policies are stupid. They stay in, we're all rooted, the Abbott family. Well, I'm 110. I'm saying that again. We might be rooted too if we don't hear from you. They don't respect the workers. They really love to hurt us. They should be in a circus. The Abbott family. In the following segment, I refer to graffiti which says last chance. This is incorrect. The graffiti in fact said last warning. Hello and welcome back to Queering the Air. You're listening to 3CR on 3cr.org.au or 855am. My name is Jessie and I'm joined in the studio by the lovely Nikki. I am lovely. <laughs> today. so lovely. Just today. Just for you guys. Um, earlier today we listened to an interview that uh, Arjun did with uh, broadcaster Dean Beck. Yes. So Dean is going to be um, speaking at the Writers' Festival this week and he'll be talking about the importance of language and representation, which um, for those of you, dear listeners, who may have tuned in a few weeks ago, um, our fellow broadcaster Tan Hung had an interview with Sanmati Verma, who wrote a really, really interesting piece on New Matilda um, about the demographics of the anti-reclaim rally that happened in April, early April. 
and about why potentially the vast majority of attendees were white. And, um, yeah, it was just a really interesting piece about um, ideas of Benevolent, you know, benevolent, um, benevolent. Thank you. <laughs> there we go. Well, you know, language, <laughs> um, benevolent, welcoming, and tolerance um, of people of color, especially within the current climate of you know forced closure of Aboriginal communities and and that kind of thing. Um, so unfortunately, it's something that continues this sort of reclaim Australia rallies and splinter group rallies and anti-rally, thank goodness, I guess. But there was one today and rogue reporter, Jesse Richardson. <laughs> I went rogue and walked down the street. Unfortunately, it occurred very close to um, where I live. Uh, there was a uh, rally, thankfully very small, that was organised by a former member of Reclaim Australia, um, which was happening at the same time as an Islamic Council of Victoria community for- forum in Carlton, I believe. And I believe... Um, that it was uh, purposely staged at that time. It was organised by someone uh, reportedly called Sherman uh, Burgess, who goes by the name online of the great Aussie patriot. Um, Wow. And... uh, I uh, went along to see what was going on at the rally and it was it was pretty uh, disturbing in a lot of ways. Um, I didn't know about the rally, actually. I had seen quite a, a bit of flyering around Richmond and around Collingwood um, against fascism, so anti-fascism, anti-neo-Nazi um, information that had been posted around, but I didn't really know what it was referring to. Mm. Um, and... Uh, uh, this uh, earlier this afternoon, um, my friend uh, mentioned that um, she had uh, gone for a run around. Um, I think it's Centennial Oval in um, in Richmond, um, which is next to where this rally took place later in the afternoon, and that um, she had seen some graffiti that was on the uh, multicultural kindergarten, um, and um, we went down and had a look at it, and um, it was a. Uh, in red paint uh, over the sign for um, the multicultural kindergarten, it said last chance and there was a picture of a hangman's noose with a swastika inside. Um, Obviously this was very distressing um, and so uh, my friend contacted uh, the local police station who um, were not interested very much in in the act of vandalism or in any threat to um, the students of the multicultural kindergarten or anybody else or um, in finding out who had uh, who had uh, put the hate speech across the sign and they basically said that um, that uh, cleaning graffiti was not their problem. Um, and uh, then the council were contacted and um, the council were concerned but uh, didn't have the services uh, to clean up the graffiti in a timely manner. So... Um, some friends and I went down um, to clean up the um, graffiti with um, some old socks and some um, metho in yep. hand. Yep. Um, and uh, while and and while when we when we went there, um, we spoke again to some police officers um, because there was uh, the rally was going on uh, around the corner from the graffiti, um, and we asked if any uh, police officers would accompany us to clean off the graffiti. And they um, they told us that they were stationed at the end of the street and that was all they were there to do. And um, 
that they they appreciated that there were two sides to the issue. Two sides. Two sides. Um, but that they weren't uh, prepared to comment further. Oh, um, it's and too bad. It sounds like they were really generous in acknowledging there are two sides. To there this are two sides to every racist story, oh, you guys. Um, and uh, so uh, their, their advice to um, to my friends and to my partner were. Um, was to uh, clean the graffiti off some other time um, because they could not guarantee that there were the resources available to help us um, should anything occur during the rally um, to us while cleaning off the graffiti. <sighs> so um, uh, bearing in mind that uh, there were lots of children around and uh, lots of ch- uh, children of various backgrounds, uh, most of whom I understand would not appreciate uh, racism, um, on the Oval at the time, um, my partner and uh, some friends uh, went to clean off uh, the graffiti and were helped a lot, helped actually by a parent of um, some of the children playing on the Oval who had children who attend the kindergarten and who was a committee member of the kindergarten as well. Um, so they went about um, cleaning the graffiti off um, and, and seeing it in person was certainly distressing and I might pop a picture of it up yep. on um, Facebook. Um, and I went down to the rally and so... I might play you a little clip of um, the kind of things uh, that were being said at the rally. Um, Bear in mind that this does have um, obviously some racist language in it and it also has uh, some um, otherwise offensive language, so swear words. So that's not the kind of thing you'd like to listen to, understandably. Um, Maybe uh, take a cup of tea for a couple of minutes and come back. brief clip of some of the things that were being said at the rally today um, behind the Richmond Town Hall. Um, and that was just a very, very short uh, snippet of, of the kind of things that were being said um, 
you know, this particular guy hit all the usual uh, marks, you know, halal is uh, Islamic tax, yeah. we don't want it. Um, obviously, uh, one thing that struck me um, was how often uh, this particular guy and quite a few of the other uh, so-called speakers um, at the rally um, invoked uh, the Anzac Day legacy yeah. and, and, and Australia's military legacy um, in defending yeah, their views. I was views. Just thinking that when they were talking about World War One and Two, were about defending free speech and that's what our soldiers fell for. And I, I was just, no, like the far right and fascism were definitely, like World War Two, especially, like, I, I mean, the the irony there, how can that just well, escape them? I'll let you know that this guy went on a really long lecture on history and about how history is the most forgotten subject and um, and went all through um, the Prophet Muhammad's actions uh, in relation to the Crusades. So, look, he really knows his history, Nikki. Wow. I wouldn't question it if I were you. I need to read a book. <laughs> read a book in English. <laughs> in Australian. Yeah. Thank you. Um, that is... Okay, well, we've done a language warning. So mm. I'm just, that was fucking horrific. Yeah. I That was very confronting to hear. And it was actually quite confronting to be among as well. I mean, obviously over the radio, um, you can convey he has a lot of aggression in his voice. He is using <laughs> yeah. a megaphone, but he was um, really, and, and I, I think he was probably as far from uh, from me as you are now. Mm-hmm. And he was really screaming and making eye contact with people, yelling aggressively, um, hamming it up for the television cameras that were there, certainly, <laughs> um, and repeating his name a few more times for good measure. Um, right. But it, it was very um, it was very disarming. And I think that sh- it shows um, the thing that interests me about invoking the Anzac legacy is, um, is how dangerous a game, I suppose, um, federal politicians are playing in invoking uh, the Anzac legacy to prop up uh, Australian nationalism and how easily that's perverted and how easily they've been perverting it and um, how far it's been taken in certain pockets of society as well. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah I found it's that quite definitely disturbing. something that's just not questioned much anymore. I mean, I know that this has been discussed a lot since there was um, that SBS broadcaster was sacked over his Twitter comments, but um, like we had the centenary of the Anzac um in, you know, fights and, and that kind of stuff. Mm. And, and I remember, like, even just a few years ago, whenever Anzac Day would come around, Melbourne Uni and a few of the other unis would always host public lectures about the myth of the Anzac and how it was definitely the legacy that is often referred to and, you know, battlers and the diggers and what they did and all this kind of stuff, like how that has been created and utilised for political ends and for, you know budgetary, like to justify budgetary expense on the military and that kind of stuff from the Howard years onwards. And this year I tried, because I was like, oh, I definitely this year, it's everywhere. I can't escape it. I'm sick of watching Sam Neill voiceover like documentaries about his own personal journey through, you know, Turkey, etc. Um, and I tried to find a public lecture because I was like, I'd love to go. And there was none. And uh, at least Melbourne, well, most unis had lectures about this but they were all about you know our diggers and the songs they sang and what the medical people did and like you know about the culture and just reinforcing it and in not a single one was questioning it or critiquing it and it seems definitely now that there's that this culture is just you cannot question it no and I think 
it just really makes me so sick to have, I don't know, like people, like it's not worth discussing why those wars happened and stuff now, to me at least, I feel like, I mean, it is in some ways, but just like taking things that have happened and like warping them and using them to justify hatred is so disgusting. Yeah, and um, and the people at this rally certainly were conflating a lot of different issues, you know, in terms of, um, like you said, free speech, mm. relating that back to the Anzac, um, the Anzac legacy, um, relating uh, communism with, you know, um, I, I that was just a short section of um, what happened, but a lot of um, what was said was defamatory against um, certain Yarra councillors. Um, issues of, uh, obviously, uh, Islamic, uh, practices. And so, and, um, it was very interesting. And this idea of political correctness, I suppose, mm. being a threat to the Australian way of life was very interesting, um, to me. Yeah. And frightening. Yeah. It was frightening. very frightening. It's frightening. I just also hate this, like this rhetoric about free speech and it's like you've misinterpreted it. You fundamentally misunderstood what it means if you think that it means that you can say, yeah, defamatory things or make incite violence or, you know, make threats. Like those things are also like protected in the constitution, like to protect communities. And you you can't just say you can't just think that you can spray paint swastikas and make threats places and that that's fine. Like that's not free speech. No. Like, uh, <sighs> yeah. And I think I think it's about um, cultivating a victim mentality among uh, the most privileged people in um, yeah in the country. And so that certainly was a concern to me too. And I suppose the cross the the cross section of people who were present at the rally. So there certainly was a, a biker presence there. There was certainly a skinhead presence there. But um. There were people who seemed to be uh, across all different age groups, um, you know, families there, uh, elderly people there. Um, but, you know, I can safely say they were all white people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that bit, you know, was constant throughout all yeah. of it. I don't know why, but... Who knows? It's interesting that they were all able to gather together like en masse because I read somewhere that the white man is the most endangered species of our time. <laughs> well, to be fair, there weren't many of them, but I don't know if that was just because they were a pack of uh, idiots. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I suppose it brought together a lot of um, things, uh, uh, a lot of, uh, I suppose, sceptical beliefs that I've, I have and I think a lot of um, people who are listening interested in um, radical queerness have about the military, about um, police and about yeah. their interest in protecting um, yeah. Australia, so-called Australia. Um, and, and it was interesting too that in the history lesson, you know, um, <laughs> this, that this guy imparted, uh, he, he talked about Australia being founded on Judeo-Christian beliefs. So obviously Indigenous Australia doesn't really no. um, inform his view of Australia um, and yeah, so it was, it was quite concerning. And, and so I would, uh, let people know to be on the lookout for that sort of thing, because, um, it certainly does exist. It's not just something that you see, uh, on television. And it was, mm. it was very disarming, I think for me as being quite privileged and, and having friends who are, who are largely quite progressive minded, mm. um, 
and from a lot and and from a lot of different uh i suppose racial minorities in australia mm. largely it was um very strange to see that sort of thing playing out um maybe three or four blocks from where i live um and i think there was it was interesting to note that the first speaker that i heard talked about how um people taking part in this Australian um, nationalist movement have to be smart about how, uh, how they conduct themselves and, um, and they can't, uh, they can't be overtly racist or they can't um, pre- just preach hate. Um, so the idea of being quite strategic about their um, nationalist uh, movements was very interesting to me as well. So mm-hmm. uh, yes, a very concerning experience and I think um, a really good lesson in um, the importance of community uh, media. So um, I was very fortunate to go and um, cover that event and I was alongside many um, mainstream news outlets and I'm quite interested to see how they'll be covering the event as well Mm. um, later tonight. Um, And 3CR certainly is a very important uh, venue to hear um, opinions that are counter those uh, in movements like Reclaim Australia or in nationalist movements or, mo- or um, a forum to question things like the Anzac um, myth or yeah. um, the police or, state or yeah. the involvement of our military. Or the, like, overwhelming whiteness of the anti-Reclaim rallies as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. So we're not without our flaws. We're not without left. our flaws. No, no, no. But it doesn't mean that, like, I mean, part of me hates like giving airtime to these people but it is so important I think because yeah at least for myself I I think that whenever I hear about these things or I see it on mainstream media I'm like oh this like radical fringe that like really wouldn't be organizing around the corner from me in the street where I do my market shopping um so yeah I mean yeah it's important and it, it, it's devastating. Yeah, and I think it's important to hear about. Um, and we're very, very grateful for 3CR because it's a kind of place that allows us to speak about these issues. And uh, one thing that you can do to help this is to support 3CR because we are in the midst of Radiothon Frenzy. That's so, right. Um, in particular, in the next couple of weeks, we're really going to be pushing um, to get some support from all the listeners Um for 3CR. So Radiothon um, is all about us trying to um, get some financial support from you. Um, Queering the Air needs your support, as does 3CR. If you want to continue hearing um, about topics like this um, without the mainstream media bias, please do support us. So Queering the Air is running a variety of fundraisers. You do not need to attend any of them to donate. So you can go onto 3cr.org.au and donate and nominate Queering the Air as a show that you're supporting. And no donation is too small. Um, But we are also running a series of films um, as fundraisers. So do you want to tell us a bit about that, Nikki? Yeah, so um, Queering the Air is hosting a bunch of films, well, four to be precise, at Loot Bar in the city. Um, So you can go to our Facebook page and there should be an event. It's the Queering the Air slash We Weren't Born Yesterday film fundraiser. So we're going to be screening films on the 3rd, 17th, 
or 3rd and 17th of June and then the 1st and 15th of July. So um, we're also going to be screening queer films that have to do with the communities or languages that we did um, our features for We Weren't Born Yesterday in. So the next one that's coming up this week on Wednesday will be um, in Chinese, I think mostly Mandarin, bit of Shanghainese and has English subtitles and it's going to be The Wedding Banquet, which is an Ang Lee production from 93 and it'll be great and basically it's a $10 recommend donation um, it's wheelchair accessible um, and you just need to make a booking so either email Leah incognita leah.incognita at gmail.com with um, QTA booking in the subject line to book um, or head to the Facebook event to find out more info. Great. And I'll be there. I'm a big fan of um, all those movies. So I'll be there. It'll be a great opportunity to meet you listeners. I'll be doing a meet and greet myself. (laughs) You could meet the real Jesse Richardson. Um, We're going to end the show today with a great anti-right, anti-military industrial complex song by the wonderful Laura Jane Grace. This is a song called Anna is a Stool Pigeon. Thank you very, very much for joining us on 3CR. Um, And up next is uh, Democracy Now! Just a word of warning, this does have a bit of a language. A cuss word. Okay, thanks everyone. Bye.